It's time for CBJ in 30, presented by Telhio Credit Union. Find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, YouTube, and TuneIn. The easiest thing to do is tell Alexa or Siri to play CBJ in 30. Here's your host, Bob McGilligan. What a game for the Blue Jackets last night. What a win for the Blue Jackets last night as they go to Florida and knock off the Panthers in the final meeting of the regular season between the two teams. 6-3 to three was the final score. Welcome to CBJ and 30, presented by Telhio Credit Union. Coming up in just a bit, I'm going to be talking with the man that was calling that game on national TV last night. John Buchegras of ESPN is going to be my guest. But first, I just want to talk about the game itself. You know, the Blue Jackets went into that game last night already hurting. I mean, literally hurting. Zach Wierenski got injured in the Toronto game. Zach wasn't going to play in the game. You have your top defenseman, the guy that eats more minutes than anybody else on your team out of the lineup before the game even begins. What a blow to the psyche that could be, but it wasn't. The Blue Jackets did nothing but go with the next man up mentality. They just did what they had to do. They took Wierenski's minutes that he normally gets throughout a game, which is about 30, and just divvied them up. And the players that got those minutes, they excelled with those minutes last night. It was spread out. Gabriel Carlson jumped into the lineup in place of Zach Wierenski. Didn't do the same job that Zach does, not by any means. A lot of people did that job. But Carlson had a big goal in that game for the Blue Jackets, and it was a difference maker. There's no question about it. But really what was impressive about the game was the way the Blue Jackets started it. Right from the opening faceoff, again, no Zach Wierenski, that hurts. Elvis Merzlikens had been put on injured reserve earlier in the day. Both he and Jonas Corposalo are both on injured reserve. So your top two goaltenders are out. Your third string goaltender in Daniil Tarasov is undergoing surgery. So he's out. You're down to your fourth string goalie in Jean-Francois Berube. But he came into the game with a record of 2-0 with impressive wins over Buffalo and Toronto. So he was primed. He was set. He was ready. And the Blue Jackets were confident. And to me, that is one of the big keys to that game last night. They were confident, not just because they've been winning. I mean, that helps. Anytime you win and you're feeling good about yourself, you just do better, right? That's a no-brainer. That's human nature. You could be winning at anything, whatever you do for a living. When you're doing it well and you know that you're doing it well, you just get better at it because you're confident in yourself, your own abilities, the people around you, whatever it is. And that's how they were going into that game, okay? They were confident. But confidence wasn't going to be enough against a team that has the firepower that the Florida Panthers have. It was going to take confidence transferred into ability transferred into execution. And that's what the Blue Jackets delivered last night. They felt good about themselves going into the game. They felt really good after getting that win in overtime over Toronto at home on Tuesday night. So from the time they got to South Florida, how they felt, what they were thinking about themselves, that wasn't a problem. That was already taken care of. That was in the right direction. No big deal. The Zach thing, uh, the goalie thing's not even a big deal now either because Barube had played the two previous games, and you can tell that they're rallying around him. They want him to do well. Of course, if he does well, they do well. I understand that, but they genuinely like this guy. They appreciate his story. They know he waited four years in between National Hockey League starts. They appreciate what he does, what he brings, who he is, and they want to play for him. 
And that makes a big difference because if a guy wants to block an extra shot, if he wants to, uh, you know, take an extra hit or give an extra hit, and if he thinks doing that is going to help you, which in turn is going to help us, and you're all bought in and you're sold on it, well, then so be it. And that's what's going on right now. That's what's going on with that position. So the goalie position, you know, the Wierenski thing was a big deal. And maybe it was more of a big deal from the outside. You know, when you look at the result of the game and you look at the way they played, maybe it was more of a result from the outside than it was on the inside. But they'd gotten over the goalie. They haven't had either of the top two goalies in the last couple of games. So, okay, we'll move by that. We know the guy that we have there is doing a good job. We have faith in that guy. And then they just had faith in themselves. But the way they started the game, the very first shift of the game, bang, right into the Florida zone. The top line, Jenner, Voracek, Line A, just right from the opening faceoff, right into the Florida end. Almost as if to say, if you think that we came here to roll over just because we don't have one of our best players, well, you can think again. That's the message that that sent, the very first shift of the game. And Florida got the first goal of the game. You know, the Blue Jackets get in a situation where Florida's able to you know, pinch a defenseman down and they go with a pass across the crease and there's no way Barube can get from his left to his right in time to cover the rest of the net. And it's a one to nothing game. But then again, it is that top line and it's led by Jake Voracek. Voracek and the way that he drives the play now with Patrick Line comes down the ice on the left side, gets it across to the right side. Line scores another goal for him. His point streak is now at 11 games. Ryan Johansson holds a franchise record for a point streak, and that's at 13 games. Line A is very much within striking distance of that right now. So he scores, and it's a one-to-one game. And then the second goal is just the epitome of the Blue Jackets. A shot from inside the blue line, and Boone Jenner gets a stick on it, tips it, redirects it. It goes in to make it a two-to-one game. And then, as I mentioned earlier, Gabriel Carlson. He gets a huge goal that gives the Blue Jackets a – uh, a two-goal advantage. It's 3-1. to one. Florida cuts it to 3-2. to two. And then the Blue Jackets are able to get a couple more. And, you know, Justin Danforth is on the board again. And I love how he has played since he's come back from injury. He fully understands how to play on the fourth line. Jack Roslovic started the game on that fourth line. He quickly moved off of it. And Cole Sillinger went there. But it really kind of fortified both lines, if you will, to be completely honest with you. Because, you know, Jack was playing well and he did what he was supposed to do. And Sillinger kind of settled in between Danforth and Gantz. And they just went out and they worked. And they turned it into a goal. They turned it into points. Everyone was responsible defensively. Sticks in the passing lanes. Body on body. You know, the Florida Panthers, at the beginning of the game, I I would say by the end of the first period, they had gone away from their game plan. And their game plan is high-flying, up and down the ice. I mean, you look at the first two games these teams had played against each other, and Florida got nine goals in the game that was played in Sunrise. They got eight goals in the game played at Columbus right before the All-Star break began. 17 goals in two games. And last night, they were held to three. And they had to work hard just to get that, and they could never catch up. They could never catch up. The Blue Jackets had them. Even when Florida got into the Blue Jacket zone and started to skate around with the puck, their shots were getting blocked or they were getting deflected. Their passes were being broken up. 
they may have hustled to keep the puck inside the blue line, but they had to work so hard for everything they did. And the Blue Jackets were relentless in that pressure all night long. And if I'm Andrew Brunette, the head coach of the Florida Panthers, they've now lost two in a row. Now, this is a team that had won nine straight on home ice, okay? They lost to Nashville two nights ago or three nights ago now. They lost to Nashville, and they made some mistakes in that game, and they paid the price for making the mistakes. So if you walk away from that game, which was 6-4, to four, that was the final, I think you walk away from that game and you say, you know what, if we were more responsible, if we would have done what we needed to do and what we have been doing, we would have won that game. So, yeah, we're disappointed about it, but we're going to get back on track against Columbus. But what the Blue Jackets brought to them, and this is why I have said to people, and I don't know if I've said it on this show, I think I have, maybe on one of the Monday mailbags, I don't know, but I'll say it right now. This is why I am not as confident in the Florida Panthers when it comes to the playoffs and winning a Stanley Cup as so many people are. To me, it comes down really to the goaltending. And I have said this, and I've been consistent with this. Look, most of you out there, have seen Sergei Bobrovsky play in the regular season, and you've seen him play in the playoffs. And you know that sometimes it can be very different when the pressure is turned up, okay? So, unfortunately, Sergei has to make me a believer that he can win a Stanley Cup because right now I'm I'm not even on the fence. I, I just can't believe it. I've watched it a couple of times. I've watched it, and you've got to make me a believer, okay? So that's the goaltending thing, and that's what I've been harping on for a long time. And when I talk with John Butchagross, we'll talk about goaltending, and you'll see I've been harping on it even before the game was played. But what the Blue Jackets did to them last night is they played a playoff-style game. They didn't let Florida get into the running gun. They didn't let them go down the ice and make fancy passes. By the end of the first period, Florida was done trying to make three or four passes to get pretty goals. They realized early in that game that that was not going to get it done and they had to adjust their style and then the adjustments were not necessarily on point all night there were a lot of passes and again the Blue Jackets were getting sticks on these passes in many cases but there were other passes that were just missing there was one power play where Jonathan Huberto was on the left wing boards and two times he wasn't in position to get to a puck when he should have been and it was because there was disruption from the Blue Jackets that's just a fact Two times the puck came out of the zone because he wasn't where he should have been or where he would normally be, I guess you would say. But there was disruption, and it was caused by the Blue Jackets in the way that they were playing. That was a playoff-style game. It wasn't low scoring, obviously, 6-3. It wasn't a 3-2 game, but it could have been. It wasn't a 2-1 to game, but it could have been because that's the way the Blue Jackets played it. So if I'm Andrew Burnett, the head coach of the Florida Panthers, I'm looking at the video from that game, and I'm saying, okay, boys, Here's what we got to change. And for them, it's good to go through the adversity 50 games in, not to just roll along like Tampa a couple of years ago. Remember, they weren't challenged. They were just winning, 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 you know, tying records, setting records, whatever. And then they got into the first round against the Blue Jackets, who were very disciplined, very structured, took away the things they do well. Instead of trying to adjust, they kept trying to do the same things. You know, the old definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. That's what Tampa did, and they got swept in four games. So the Blue Jackets brought that to the Panthers. And, again, if I'm looking at that on the Panthers bench or I'm sitting at home and watching it or I'm watching it in the office, I'm going, okay, here's 
here's where we have to adjust. So they'll get the opportunity to go through that and try to make some of those adjustments right now. But on the other side for the Blue Jackets, they just continue to roll. They just continue to roll. They have now won seven of their last eight. Uh, they're in Carolina tonight. This is going to be another tough test against the Carolina Hurricanes. you got to go back-to-back. you got to take on the top team in the Metropolitan Division, all those things. Although here's another thing that you know if you're the Blue Jackets. The last time you were here, you shut out the Hurricanes six to nothing. That was also a nationally televised game. Hmm, coincidence? Probably. But anyway, they had success here last time. They're having success now. That's not guaranteed success in tonight's game. I get it. I understand. They're going to have to work. But as Jody Shelley was saying last night, Jody was working with me during the game, and he said that he believes the Blue Jackets now know who they are. And remember, we spent the whole first half of the year talking about them having to learn who they are, them having to learn their identity, them having to learn what they can do, what they can't do. I've talked to Brad Larson about that numerous times. You know, the the lessons. Is this a lesson learned? Is this a lesson that is going to come back and bite you again? How's this all going to work? So I think Jody's right. I think they have figured it out. I'm not saying they're going to play it that way every single night. I'm not saying they're going to be perfect every night. Not by any stretch of the imagination. But they now know what they have to do. They have simplified their game. They're getting scoring. And they are controlling what happens. And it's great to see. It's great to see them getting rewarded for the work that they're putting in. And it's great to see them getting rewarded for their patience. And for their resilience, quite frankly. Because there were a number of times this year where things happened that, you know, it, it, it could have gotten it could have gotten bad. It could have gotten into a rut. They were in a bit of a rut, but there could have been several ruts this year if they let that happen. Leadership doesn't let it happen on this team. These are quiet leaders. They're quiet leaders. But when they have a stick in their hands and their skates are on the ice, they're loud with the way they play, with the things they do. Speaking of leaders, by the way, with Zach Wierenski out of the lineup, Vladislav Gavrikov was wearing an alternate captain's A on his jersey last night. And what, a, uh, what an honor that is for him. And rightfully so. He's on the ice a lot, although he was in the penalty box a couple times last night, which was unusual. But he's on the ice a lot. Lead by example, defines the way that he plays. Uh, it, it's a fit. It really was a fit. So it was good to see him get the opportunity to have that letter last night. And he just went out and he did his job. Like I said, even when he did things that got him in trouble, his teammates bailed him out of it. So it was a fun game to watch. It was. It, it is exciting to watch them grow. It's exciting to watch them grow as a group, as a team. Even the older guys are growing into something as part of this group. And that's fun to watch. And as I said, hopefully they can continue that tonight here in Carolina against the Hurricanes. Got John Bucigras from ESPN coming up in just a moment here. But first, I want to tell you about the fine folks over at Ohio Credit Union. They have been a fabric of the community for a long, long time. And the reason is they care about their customers. They provide for their customers. They service their customers. One of the questions that you might have is, why should I join a credit union when I already have a bank? Well, the answer to that question and many, many more can be found 
on their website at tellhio.org. You can just go around the website. You can click on the different links. You can see the services that they provide. Maybe you need something individually. Maybe you need something for your small business. The answers are on the website. And if you can't find the answer to a question, and if you are looking during regular business hours, there is a button that you can click on on the right-hand side of the screen for a live chat. Somebody will pop up on the screen, and they will help you to find the answer to the question that you have. It's very simple. That's how they take care of you. That's just one way that they take care of you at Telhio Credit Union. Telhio Credit Union is open to everyone in central and southwestern Ohio. They are federally insured by NCUA. John Bucigras, an Ohio guy calling games in the National Hockey League. And oh, by the way, for a quarter of a century, has been a pretty big face, a pretty recognizable face on ESPN. Prior to the game last night between the Blue Jackets and the Florida Panthers, I had a chance to catch up and chat with John Bucigras. Well, John, you and I have something in common. We were both born in Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. but then... You went west, I went east, <laughs> and uh, but uh, but here we both are in the National Hockey League, believe it or not. Uh, do you ever wonder how a guy that spent a lot of time in small town Steubenville, Ohio, has wound up at ESPN? And uh, not wonder, but do you ever pinch yourself and say, is this real? Oh, for sure. I mean, my dad was born and raised in Boston, moved to Pittsburgh as a young age with my mom, and uh, thought I'd be there for a couple years, get trained to be a Sears and Roebuck store manager, and probably thought he'd go right back to Boston after a couple of years, end up staying for 30 years, always within an hour of Pittsburgh. So it was Indiana, Pennsylvania until I was 11, and then Steubenville. And then I uh, went to high school in Steubenville College up by Tiffin, Ohio, Heidelberg. And uh, while I was there, he got one more train. He got transferred again to Warren, Ohio, up near Youngstown. So, so yeah, so it was about every eight years he moved. But, but you know, I knew at a young age what I wanted to do. I would get a tape recorder and turn the sound down and broadcast and play DJ with a couple tape recorders. I love music. I love sports. And then Chris Berman came on ESPN, which was invented when I, which was unveiled when I was 13. Started watching Berman at 14, 15, 16 while in high school. It's like no one ever did sports like that. It was like Haley's Comet going across the sky. R music references, history references, having fun, not real buttoned up. And so once I saw that, that's what I want to do. So how do you get from Tiffin to ESPN? What was that journey like for you? You know, I, I graduate in 88. My dad retires from his job with Sears in 88. He goes back to Boston, which was always his plan. I go with him, knowing that my first job would be very low paying. If he had stayed back in Ohio for maybe a couple more years, you know, maybe five more years, I, maybe I would have gone to Youngstown or Dayton and looked for my first job there. But I looked for my first job on Cape Cod. It was a tiny operation, nine people, just really small, just in a, where you go pay your cable bill. It was almost like a community access service for those who got cable from that company. You know, So it was only the middle of Cape Cod. So that's just where it started, five and a half years there, then a nice little break to go to Providence, Rhode Island, which was the 44th biggest market. I kind of, a lot of people would leave Cape Cod and go to Charleston, South Carolina, Manchester, New Hampshire. I wanted to skip that step, kind of gamble, and I did. And I got to Providence, and that was a great two years. Then, bam, ESPN. I was 30 years old when ESPN News went on the air. So I, was, I had experience, and I was cheap. So I was that perfect hire at 30. And that's when the world was exploding. That's when the Internet was, you know, 96. The world's exploding. Corporations are buying media companies. The Internet's coming. And so it was a real good accidental birth year for me 1966 to be 30 in 1996 as the world is about to explode 
uh, the big bang of media in a lot of ways was 96. And luckily, I was at a great age to kind of grow with it. I've been riding the wave for 25 years since. Yeah, and that wave has taken you into so many different things, yeah. uh, anchoring Sports Center, hosting shows, doing play-by-play. I mean, could you ever imagine that you would just be running the gambit there at ESPN? <laughs> yeah, that's the great part about working there. Even even producers and directors, they'll, they'll do a show for a while, then they'll move them to 11 o'clock Sports Center. Then they'll go do NFL Live, which is an afternoon shift. So it, it's what cool. The company's always been that way, and I've always someone who I can get bored easily, so it's nice to change and grow slowly with the company, you know? I've always played the long game, and so, yeah, whether it was ESPN News at first, getting my shot on SportsCenter, doing a baseball tonight once in a while, then starting to get a regular rotation with SportsCenter in 2012. We lose hockey in 04. I say, hey, can I get involved with college hockey? That leads to calling the Frozen Four for the last nine years, and now hockey's back, and it's almost good that it was gone for, for 18 years, 17 years. Because if I had, if we had had it the whole time, I'd probably be some old dog that all, they'd be tired of me by now. But I'm kind of a fresh face. I've, I've been put on ice for 17 years. Now we have it back, and everyone's so excited. And that was a cool feeling to have that. And so this has just been like Christmas every day now to call play-by-play of an NHL game. And I, like I said, when my dad was in Pittsburgh, he'd listen to Boston Bruins games on the radio, clears a bell on WBZ, Westinghouse Broadcasting, and that's how I. That's my earliest memory is just in being in my dad's room listening to Bruins game, he'd write down the stats, beautiful handwriting, meticulous notes he would keep. And that was the impression that he put on me, and that's and here I am now calling NHL games. So it's it's every game's a huge deal to me. A couple of weeks ago I talked with Linda Cohn and I think you guys are the same and where when hockey was gone from ESPN for that long period of time, you guys kept it alive, you know, with Barry Melrose and so many other people, but it, it was it was like it was always there. You were still always talking about it. So it's gotta be great to have the NHL back. Yeah, and that probably was that probably again served me well to be kinda like that guy waving pom poms at this big, mighty network of ESPN, you know. And then also the biggest thing for me also which helped was the uh, the advent of social media and Twitter. And just fig- just get involved with that, engaging with the fans with the Booch Overtime Challenge, which was an unexpected thing that kind of blew up out of nowhere. And then college hockey and doing polls and just having fun. So that you know that was another, and that was kind of all me. I kind of I was like the producer of my own social media page, and a lot of it was hockey. My kids playing, me covering college hockey, and then the Booch Overtime thing, which just went nuts during the playoffs, and still kind of does ten years. I thought for sure it would fade by now. But uh, so that's been so that kept me engaged while we were out of the game. So it was kind of it was really the best of both worlds. It, it couldn't have worked out any better, really, for me. I'm very lucky. Talking with John Buchagras of ESPN and the overtime challenge. Do you ever check all of those tweets? There's no way you can do it, is there? Well, what you do now is if you just go in the search bar and you put hashtag Bucci Overtime Challenge. That's why I p- tell people to use it, and then just put Rick Nash. Then everyone who picked Rick Nash will come up. So that's that. that I, that's someone told me that after about five years of doing the Booch Overtime Challenge, because I would go through all of them with my thumb, waiting to find a Rick Nash, you know. And uh, so yeah, so it's it, it's hectic, it's tough. I was hoping some young whippersnapper uh, uh, could come up with some sort of app and like you know make me millions and make it easier, but it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> hey, covering college hockey because you know it used to be guys went to junior and then it came to the National Hockey League, but college hockey is so much more prominent now. Yeah. Kids are coming from Canada. They're playing in the U.S. in college and then coming to the National Hockey League. How nice has it been for you that you're seeing guys that you've called in those frozen fours and now they're playing in the NHL? Yeah, that's a great point because that, that also kept me connected to the game. You know, because like I said, I, I covered Kale McCarr and I'm doing these guys play-by-play. So even now, even though I haven't been in an NHL rink for really 18 years down here where we are, kind of near the locker rooms and stuff, 
when these guys walk in, you know, Cole Caulfield, Kale McCarr, even, you know, Jazz, Jack Roslevic, of course, played at Miami. They see me, hey, Bucci, hey, Bucci, hey. Like, they all know me because of college. And a third of the league played college hockey. So a third of the league still knows, you know, and, and even the rest of the league, a couple of the old dogs like Joe Thornton were there way back in the NHL tonight days. Only a couple were left from those days. But even, again, the other, the other players who, you know, even play, from Canada, even Austin Matthews, I'll DM Austin Matthews. When he was 17, he sent me a DM, can I get a Bucci Overtime Challenge T-shirt? And I sent it to him, you know, and he, he took a picture of him holding this tiny little fish. Very funny. He's a deadpan funny guy, and I'll use it every now and then on, uh, on Twitter. But so, yeah, it really kept me connected through the game. So now as I'm back into it, it's been very warm and comforting and couldn't, couldn't be any better. A couple of weeks ago, I sent a text to John Tortorella, and I asked him if he misses doing the pregame interviews with me or if he enjoys <laughs> reading tweets about chicken parm more. And he said, frankly, I don't like either. And then he said something else I won't say on this because that's torts and I love it. But uh, I loved being with him for six years. It was awesome. How's it to, to work with him on a weekly basis? Yeah, it's great. He's uh, I like to call out torts on the air when he gets kind of he puts the grumpy act on. It is an act, by the way. It's total act. total showman. He loves it. And uh, we're, we're not going to give away that secret to too many people. We want people to think it's real. But no, so much fun. A loyal guy, loving guy, caring guy, passionate guy. All those great adjectives. Adjectives, uh, that some of our that, that we all have those kinds of friends and so yeah he's phenomenal he's been our best I think he's been our stickiest analyst that we've had no one creates buzz like torts everyone talks about him and so he's a star I hope he does go back to coaching um, because he's a star he could be a star television guy uh, unquestionably you know you see the money they're paying Troy Aikman and seeing Tony Rome on these you know television I mean torch is great on television it's like it's a great skill not everybody is you just can't it's not everyone can do it as you know but he can I gotta ask you this because I, I told him this when he left here dealing with him every day he made me better because you just feel like you had better be prepared for what you do do you feel like that that's a great point yeah I've never thought about that but you know because you hear about from coach to player keep him on edge we had those teachers who were more strict, you know, in the fifth grade. And boy, I'm glad she, you know, she was serious. My, my history teacher, Mrs. Cartledge, that was the one really good teacher I had because she was demanding, you know. And, uh, and that's, you're right. So when he's here, it's like, yeah, I want to make sure. And it's just so fun to watch Torch watch. You know, when I do the point with him and we do a feature on these guys, and usually they're emotional or, or uh, features or certainly human interest stories and he just watches that monitor he loves to sit there and watch the show he loves these features learn about these players because you know day to day these guys don't have time to really consume media content he probably doesn't even know how to you know <laughs> of his generation but so he's really learning the league i think doing this and he's he's learning the entire league and i know how much of a fan of Barkoff he is now and the panthers from watching and doing our stories he goes why wow, that guy that's a really good kid you know, so it's, I think it's really been good for him. It could be good for his coaching. I think he'll get a job next summer for sure. Um, so I think it's going to be good for him. Talk with John Bucci-Gross and for an Ohio kid who's calling Columbus Blue Jackets games. I know you've been a big Blue Jackets uh, supporter the entire time there. What's it like for you? Yeah, like I said, you know, when I was in Steubenville, back in high school, we started the street hockey league. We'd play Saturday mornings in a local gymnasium, Holy Rosary Gymnasium. We'd all bring a dollar to rent the place. I'd make a newspaper after the games were played. There were four teams. I'd be standings and stats and features. I would, I would handwrite it with, with those flare pens, those black flare pens, call it the hockey news. And obviously that, that was years away from the Blue Jackets being a team. We couldn't conceive an NHL team. Obviously Cleveland had the Barons for a couple of years. But uh, so, yeah, so then when they got the team, I was at the very first game and just on my own I went out on my own and Mike Gay Race let me name the three stars that night he gave me you know him being the beat writer it was his call but he let me do it which was really cool 
And, uh, you know, Bruce Gardner scored the first goal in, in, in Blue Jacket history, and I was there. And he was my first star because he got the first first ever goal. They lost to the Blackhawks. Uh, and then I, I went to the second game as well, and they lost to the Kings. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I was there from the beginning. I love the organization. I uh, love the city. All my high school and college friends kind of convened on Columbus after they graduated. It was the one part of the state that was doing well at the time economically, and it's grown so well, you know, obviously still does. So it's a great city. I love going back there. Can't wait to do the game against the Maple Leafs coming up, and uh, it's going to be a blast. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. You do a couple of Blue Jackets games that are road games, and you get to come to Nationwide Arena. It's uh, So you got that marked on the calendar. Circle big? Oh, that's going to be a huge – I mean, that's going to be a huge moment for me, you know, to like I said, to have high school and college friends either watching or, or listening or there. I mean, that, that's going to be one of those moments that, uh, that's, like you said, I'll, I'll think back when I was a 12, 14, 15-year-old kid and think I'm actually at this NHL game. You know, there's, there's, only, you know, there's only 32 teams. It's hard to get here. And uh, so, yeah, it's been, it'll be a dream come true. Last thing I want to ask you about is uh, here we go into the dog days of the season here. Everybody's played just about 50 games or more. Um, who do you like? What do you see? Do you, what, if you had to pick it right now, who, do you, who are your favorites here? Yeah, I, I, I use the analogy, if you had to bet one paycheck, you, no choice, you have to bet it, I would probably go Colorado right now. It seems like Colorado, Florida is a certain tier. And then just below them, it's like Carolina, um, you know, and Pittsburgh, and then, you know, m- maybe Vegas. And then just below them, you know, then it's Boston. And so it's like, it's, to me, there seems to be tiers. And right now, Tampa will probably be on that first tier. Uh, you know, with Florida and Colorado. I think that's the big three. I'd be surprised if one of those three didn't win the cup. Do you, and when you say that, here's what I think about that. Vasilevsky is always going to be solid. We know that. We've seen that. I think in all those other places, the goaltending is the one thing that, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm going, yeah, that's going to be great if that part of the game holds up, right? Right. And my, I always, the, the caveat I always use with that thought is you have to be good for two months. You have to be really good. You can't be... NHL teams don't win cups with good goaltending. They win it with great goaltending, and they have to be great for two months. So that's your point. Can Freddie Anderson be great for two months? Maybe. Um, can Bobrovsky be great for two months? Probably not. But you know Vasilevsky can because he's still like 26. If he was 33, it's like, oh, maybe they're susceptible. But, man, when you have Hedman, who's better this year than last, Kucherov, Stamkos, who's better this year than last, point. Now, again, that third line is not there, and their, de- their bottom six is not as good as it was last year. And that could be their downfall. But when your key guys are actually better last year, a three-peat is definitely possible. Yeah, and, and I've seen Bobrovsky play, obviously, and in the playoffs, yeah. and sometimes, you know, can go either way. Um, you know, Anderson, Blue Jackets beat the Maple Leafs with him and Net there a couple of years ago in the bubble, so you don't know. But I think if one of those teams, and I, I don't think it'll be in the East, but let's say Colorado, if somebody's able to landmark Andre Fleury, that'll be a game changer perhaps I, I think that's I, I think they should be the team that go get some but yeah even it's just just for insurance I'm sure he'd rather play every night but part of him probably be like okay I'm here for you yeah and if they go down 2-0 you know say Colorado goes down 2-0 they'll put Flurry in for game three and he might never give up the net you know that could happen it'd be, it'd be a great story. Yeah, I saw it I saw Matt Murray get injured in warm-ups in game one and we got Flurry and I thought oh this is great we're gonna beat him this time around never happened it didn't happen <laughs> yeah right so he's a popular player he's one of those guys who was still playing back in the old NHL tonight days when ESPN had hockey last flurry and thornton and uh so yeah so uh, he's a, a great guy and it could be a good story coming john thank you very much i really appreciate this it's great to catch up with you and uh can't wait to see you at nationwide arena on march the 7th the blue jackets and the maple leafs uh we, are you, you're not going to be wearing the blue uh 
that that because the blue velvet is kind of more. Well, I don't know. Is it maple leaves or not? Is it? That's a good point. First, you're right. It's it's a little too light for blue jackets. Well, I have a darker one. I'll wear that one for the blue jackets. Don't tell anybody though. I'll be rooting for them. That is Ohio native and self-admitted Blue Jackets fan John Buchagras of ESPN. You can find him weekly on the Point alongside of John Tortorella on Thursday afternoons, or you can find him calling games for ESPN+. Plus. He will be at Nationwide Arena, as you heard him say, on March the 7th to broadcast the Blue Jackets game against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Well, for the Blue Jackets, the next order of business is to play here in Carolina tonight against the Hurricanes. That is a game that gets underway at 7 o'clock this evening. Pre-game coverage will begin at 6.30 on the Blue Jackets radio network and on Bally Sports Ohio as the Blue Jackets TV broadcast is back there tonight. Blue Jackets are going to try to finish this quick trip with a sweep, and they could do it with a win tonight against the top team in the Metropolitan Division, the Carolina Hurricanes. Thanks to John Buchagras for being my guest today. Thank you, as always, for being here. That's going to do it for today's edition of CBJ and 30, presented by Tell Ohio Credit Union. Until next time, I'm Bob McElligot saying so long.